you can go to our church website if you have any questions uh, for that. And then our young adults and teens are going to be doing a combined activity on Friday, sorry, on Saturday uh, this week. And so if you haven't signed up for that and you're a young adult, sign up for that. If you would, please, it might help to sign, fill out the waiver. Um, we'll be meeting there at the Valley's Edge, we have from 12 to 2 o'clock, and then we'll have food afterwards. So 12 o'clock is when we want to be at Valley's Edge. If you have any questions about that, let me or Heidi know, or the Nouses. Um, well, I think that's about it. Pastor can cover anything I missed uh, next time. Uh, do ushers go ahead and usher? Do we pray first? Go ahead and... I don't, I'm not typically in this class. Now we have to think everything through. Go ahead and usher. We'll go ahead and take some prayer requests. And, um, and, um, and uh, we'll pray uh, for the offering retroactively. All right, we'll do that. Does anyone have anything in particular on your heart for this week that we can be praying? Uh, we can pray together about. Anyone? Kaylin? Pray for Kalen Martin's dad as he's traveling for work in California. Anyone else? Miss Betty? Pray pray for Kathy Marion. Um, went to the ER, came home, and has been taken, was, went back last night. Let's pray for Kathy Marion. Ms. Marilyn? Paul has surgery on Friday. Paul Lambert? Any others this morning? All right, let's pray for these, if you would join me. Father, we are thankful for uh, just the opportunity to begin our our week together, uh, looking at your word. Um, being reminded of great truths through the singing and just through uh, the fellowship encouragement we have from that. We just pray that you bless all the services today, those who maybe aren't feeling well, that you'd uh, just help them in, in their healing. We, we particularly think of Miss Kathy and whatever she's uh, getting dealt with there with being in the ER, that you just, um, all the checkups that she needs and the doctors that they'd have wisdom and that you'd uh, bring her back home safely and soon and just be with, be with her body and what she's working through. Pray for Kalen's dad as he travels to California. Bless his work and efforts there. Keep him safe. Pray that he be with his family. And then we pray for Paul as he looks ahead to having surgery this uh, Friday, that the surgery would be really um, accomplish everything it needs to with his, with his hearing and all of that, and um, that you just bless the healing process as well. Now, Lord, Lord, I know there's other requests and unspoken prayer requests. We just pray that you would continue to work and meet those needs. Bless our time in this class, the other classes, and our services today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, generally, we ask in our class, and I don't, I've not been in the adult class here um, much at all, but uh, if anyone had something that they found helpful or encouraging in their Bible reading or perhaps from a message they heard recently or, uh, or uh, a brief question or anything like that. Anyone uh, be able or willing to share something that maybe was an encouragement to you this week, a lesson, 
something that stuck out to you in your Bible reading, something like that at all. Um, be great to just take a minute or two and, and look at those. Steve? Amen. Yep. That's good. Appreciate Lonnie Mattingly and his wife, Nancy, I believe, uh, for being with us for the Valentine banquet. And then he, he stuck around to, to be at the men's breakfast as well uh, yesterday. Amen. Anyone else? All right. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to the book of Job. We've been, since the beginning of the year, been reading from the book of Job and been spending some time uh, looking at some of the lessons from a very unique book of the Bible. And we're going to take a moment and cover a few things we've already covered in our class, but just to try to uh, take just this class today and uh, hopefully find some help and encouragement from what Job is intended to uh, leave us with. To begin, I'll just read from chapter number 1. So if you would turn to Job in chapter number 1. And we'll just get a quick feel for what's going on in Job's life as the story is introduced. And it's no doubt familiar to many of us. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day. This may have meant each of their birthdays or they took turns and they all got along. Uh, and they sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So Job was a really, uh, a man, a great guy. He, he had a great family. He evidently was a great leader. Uh, he had all of these sort of business enterprises going on. His family got along, and he loved the Lord. Uh, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. In other words, Satan is saying, Job loves you. He's a good guy. He, he, he lives a very upright life. But really the reason he does that is because he knows that if he respects you, you'll take care of him. And so it's really about all the stuff you've given him. That's what he loves. He doesn't actually worship you because it's good or because it's right or because you're worthy of worship. You, he just worships you because it's convenient for him. So, um, 
in verse 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thine power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And so we don't know exactly how much time lapses between verse 12 and 13. But in verse 13, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only and escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants which the edge, with the edge of the sword, and I only and escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So obviously a very rough day, and one day, really in just an hour or so, um, he finds out everything his life is sort of characterized by is gone. And this is what Job does in verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Well, um, Job is a unique book. We don't know exactly when it was written. We don't know exactly when these events took place. Uh, we, we think probably Job was alive somewhere in the general time frame of Abraham. He wasn't an Israelite, as we think about the Israelites and the Jews and the covenant made with Abraham. Job seems to be not related to that, to that tree exactly. But he, he loved the Lord, and he had a really remarkable life. And we know that this particular book was written a long, long time ago. Perhaps the oldest uh, writing we have in the Bible historically, uh, other than what we read maybe in the early parts of Genesis. And so there are some lessons in Job about what's going on in his life that are very important. They've characterized, they've been helpful, they've been relevant to people's lives for uh, thousands and thousands of years. What went on in Job's life and what are the lessons that we are to learn? And it can feel a bit, little bit... Um, like a downer, to read it. Um, but, but they are, it's very, some very important lessons here. When I was growing up, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, other than a lot of snow, we had a great uh, childhood, enjoyed uh, the life there. My dad was a pastor and uh, went to the Christian school there. And I had not seven brothers, I had five brothers, six of us and, and my sister, and, uh, and learned a lot. But while we were there, uh, one year in 1994, I was still pretty little, um, there was a family that came through town. And I'm, I was just going to read uh, read a little bit of a story there from the Milwaukee Sentinel, Sentinel Journal uh, about this couple. Um, their name is Scott and Janet Willis. And um, the article reads, and this was from 2013, referring back to an event that took place in 1994. It says, couple reflects on love and loss 19 years after a crash killed six children. Scott and Janice Willis celebrate 46 years of marriage on Monday. 
And I'll just read briefly from this article. Scott met Janet in seventh grade in homeroom on the first day of school. His last name was Willis. Hers was Wright. They were placed in alphabetical order side by side. They shared a locker in high school. They married when they were 20. They had nine children and 32 grandchildren. Come Monday, they will celebrate their 46th anniversary. What are the odds things would work out that way? You may remember Scott and Janet Willis. On November 8, 1994, Scott and Janet and their six youngest children were driving through Milwaukee toward a birthday party in Watertown. Somewhere ahead of them was Ricardo Guzman, who had paid a bribe to obtain a commercial driver's license in Illinois. Guzman did not speak English and could not understand the other truckers who were warning him that a piece of his rig, a 30-pound bracket holding the truck's mud flap in place, had broken loose. The Willis's minivan ran over the bracket on I-94 south of West Layton Avenue. The bracket punctured the gas tank and dragged like a matchstick over the surface of the road. The spray of sparks ignited the gasoline and the van exploded in flames. What are the odds? A sheriff's deputy who examined the crash called them, quote, astronomical. For a piece of metal to lodge in the gas tank and create so many sparks, he had never seen anything like it. But what happened next seemed even more extraordinarily uh, extraordinary. All six children had burned to death. One, 13-year-old Ben, survived the night but died the next day. A hospital attendant, Janet said, told her that Ben knew he was dying and asked her to hold his hand. She couldn't because of his burns. Scott and Janet's suffering was unimaginable, yet they sought to comfort a grieving community. They thanked those who stopped to help them. They thanked the rescue workers, the hospital staff, and the outpouring of support from around the world. And they thanked God. At a hospital news conference, Scott, a Baptist minister, told reporters that his children were given of the Lord. And we understand that they weren't ours. They were his, and we were stewards of those children. And so God took them back. Um, It's amazing to see how incredible, blessed, just from our outside perspective, if we met Scott and Janet Willis today, how their grandchildren and their lives turned out, and how he has continued to be used of the Lord in his life and all of the circumstances that took place. But we might not know, unless we knew their family, what took place. And what's really remarkable is that statement he made there when Job's life sort of comes home in his own life, um, where he says there uh, about his children, they were given of the Lord and we understand they weren't ours. They were his and we are stewards of those children and so God took them back. Really remarkable statement there. It's a lot like what Job has to say in verse 21. In light of this accusation that Satan is making, Job just loves you. He just worships you because it's convenient, because you're a good luck charm, right? It's sort of having that feather circle in your house, right? It's supposed to bring uh, good luck or a rabbit's foot or whatever the case is. He, he, He worships you because, you know, you can bless him and you're powerful and you can, you know, make his life easier and, and, and the reality is we find out in Job's life when he says in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That Job worshipped the Lord because the Lord was worthy of worship. He loved the Lord because he loved the Lord. The Lord was good. He trusted in him despite what the circumstances may play out. And um, I... I it was profound to me. I, my my mother, her birthday would have been February the seventh, and uh, it was on February the seventh when we came home, and um, we had Heidi and I had just gotten married. We were pregnant with Katie, 
And my mom had, uh, had just, on, on her birthday, we were driving in. She had a doctor appointment that morning. Um, I talked to my mom, and then she called and said, hey, the doctor called us back in. And so we're not going to be here when you get here, but we'll, we'll come back after the doctor appointment. So we got there for her birthday. It was also my littlest brother's birthday as well. And then they came back home after having talked to the doctor. And I noticed my mom didn't eat a lot of cake. Um, they had an important announcement. The doctor had given her about six months or less to live. She had stage four pancreatic cancer. There wasn't really anything they could do. That's the first they had realized it was anything more than just a stomach ulcer or something like that. Um, she passed away six weeks later. It was pretty aggressive, and the Lord was very gracious in all of that. But the point to tell you that is I remember what my dad said. Uh, somewhere in there, I don't know that it was that day, but somewhere as we were having family conversations and things like that, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm just really thankful for the 32 years God gave your mother to me. That was his perspective. That was what he, among all the other emotions, along grappling with all the other things, uh, he was able to say, what I'm really thankful for is, is what God gave me to enjoy over that period of time. The lessons of Job are so relevant, are so important, because the reality is we are all going to have to say goodbye to things that we have right now, that we're enjoying right now, that we're stewarding right now. The Lord may call us home, and the Lord may uh, call the church away, and we, we look forward to all of those things, but there are some lessons about our relationship with the Lord and our journey through the Christian life that only a book like Job can teach us. Some people... The book teaches us how to respond to to loss and to the reality of it. Um, Some react different ways to to some of these things. They may uh, hide from it. They may try to ignore it. You know, spend my life watching videos or, you know, getting caught up in other distractions. Some will rationalize it. They may say, uh, whenever there's a, a, a tragedy or something difficult, this is why, and this is how it all worked out, and this is whose fault it is, and this is, you know, have an easy explanation for all of it. Um, but I think Job teaches us because it doesn't give us easy answers to these questions. Uh, even if you read all 42 chapters, uh, it teaches us that there's a certain wisdom in, in, in these sorts of events that happen. There's wisdom in uh, what Job goes through. There's a certain wisdom, some lessons we can learn about trusting in the Lord, uh, even through some of these things. Um, much of Job is a poem. It's kind of like the wisdom literature. Uh, it teaches us, it's poetic, Hebrew poetry, uh, where it's not so much rhyming of words like we, like Dr. Seuss, right? Red cow, blue cow, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. It's less like that and more like here's an idea and here's another way to state the idea and here's another way to state the idea and here's another way to state the idea and the opposites and, and that sort of way of, of, of teaching us. Um, we don't know exactly who the author is. We can make some guesses, but we don't know exactly who the human author is. But we, we deal with a couple things. One is, how does a good God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering in our life? Sort of a question of justice. If God is just, why does he allow good things to happen to, bad things to happen to good people, good things to happen to bad people? Uh, what about things that happen in our life? Is it just, a, you know, you're not very good and so bad things happen, or you're really good and so good things happen? This idea of we reap what we sow, how does that play out in our life? Is how we're treated in this life, the circumstances of our life, a reflection of sin or righteousness in our personal lives? Sort of the question that's raised. 
one of the questions that's raised is, is there a purpose in suffering? If we go through something difficult, is there a, a purpose behind some of those things that we may, uh, we may endure? And then is it possible to handle suffering when we don't have a good explanation for exactly why it's working out the way it is? pastor preached on Sunday morning about lilies, right? The lilies at the top of those posts, I think in 1 Kings. And one of the things he mentioned was that some things maybe only God sees, right? Uh, is it possible that there's a flower in the middle of the desert somewhere that no one else sees but God sees? And at some level it brings him joy. Perhaps there's things that go on in your life that no one else will see, but as you handle those things, as you work through those things, God sees. And there's a certain eternal goodness that comes from things that perhaps only the Lord will see. Of all the different books that we can read about handling these sorts of things, it would seem that the most authoritative book or the most helpful book, the book that gets at it the the deepest is this book here, the book of Job. It's left in our Bibles for us by God to learn some of these lessons. Someone said this, The book of Job rises like a pyramid in the history of literature without a predecessor and without a rival. There's no other book quite like Job uh, in the Bible or anywhere else. Well, just a couple thoughts as we, as we think about Job and reflect, and I don't mean to make this a, a sad morning whatsoever, but, but think about this with, you, with me if you would. For Job, there were no easy answers. Um, as we think about what went on in his life, uh, we can't just say to Job, ah, easy come, easy go, you know, these trite phrases that we can just throw out there. There was something that really meaningfully happened to Job. We can continue to read about um, some of the physical things he experienced in his own body and uh, all of those things. But uh, in one day, he, he loses everything. One of the things that Job teaches us, or teaches Job, one of the things that Job has to understand through all of this is, um, if you ask the question, why, to Job, and we read through all of the chapters where this stuff happens to Job, and then we start having these conversations with Job's friends, right? There's all these different arguments that are made, and they say something for a couple chapters, and then Job says something, and then they say something else, and it's just all these conversations. And you read all the way to the very end of Job, where God speaks to Job, and uh, it's just amazing if you, if you have taken the time to read through it to see what God has to say to Job. In the very end, do you know Job never is told why? In the entire book, Job is never told why these events happen. We can read it, right? We can see that there's this other part of this going on, right? Satan comes and has this conversation, and and, and there's something going on behind the scenes. But for Job, he never is told in this whole book why. Why does this happen? I think we know at the end of the book some really great things happen in Job's life. Some, you know, but, but he doesn't know why these difficult events took place in his life. And so what we can what we can understand from this is the question, the greatest question here isn't why, but who, who, not why. In in, in all of that's taking place, Job needed to know that behind it all was God and he could trust in God and he could understand that he didn't have to know the answers, but God could know those answers that none of us, even if we all got together and really did a big brainstorm, could figure out. There are some things that God knows and we trust him to know and to, and to put together. I don't know if I have it memorized, but the poem that Corey Ten Boom used to, uh, used to tell. If you know, raise your hand if you know 
the story of Corrie Ten Boom, a little bit about her. Okay, so going back to the Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany and, and, and rescuing Jews and all that she went through, but she talked about that, right? My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow. And I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. He knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Another way of saying God, like a weaver, weaves together something beautiful, but we don't see the other side. We don't see, we just see the colors kind of coming together. And the picture of God's grace won't be completely revealed until potentially another time. So trusting in God, trusting in God's weaving of our life, knowing he's righteous, knowing he's just, knowing he's good. Anyways, they have all of these uh, conversations that take place. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Job 38, verse 2, where God speaks after all of these conversations taking place. This is the Lord speaking to Job in just the first few verses here of chapter 38. Lest we're too quick to have all the answers, Job's friends, and to Job himself, the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind in chapter 38 and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? We could continue, but the point is made, isn't it? Who is this who's talking so much? By all you're talking, you're actually making the wisdom less clear, right? Uh, You're you're talking too much with with all your answers. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And so it's important to remember that we may not have all the answers, but we can trust the God who does. We also can understand that who is more satisfying than why. Uh, The why, oftentimes, the full explanation for things that happen in our life are, are more than we are designed to maybe have the capacity of figuring out. There's a lot to know in the world, right? We went to a bookstore the other day, and it was full of lots and lots and lots of books. More books than I'll ever have time to read. Uh, at, I guess as you go through life, you have to figure out what's important. What's important enough for you to learn about, and what's maybe not as important enough for you to learn about. The only one who will know everything comprehensively, or know anything comprehensively, is God. And so when we read something like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. We can trust in God in all of this. There's a big story that we're a part of that we don't full, see the full picture. Only the Lord does. We do know that God cares about us wherever we are. And we don't have a lot of time this morning, but it's very important to realize that The Lord, when he interacts with us as Christians, he doesn't say we're never going to experience a trouble or problem. He doesn't say when you get saved, you're going to be saved from all challenges, right? You're going to be saved from the real 
difficult things that uh, you might experience otherwise. No, he says, you might still go through things, but I will be with you. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. We're, we're Christians. We belong to the family of God. We're his children. He loves us uh, more than we can imagine. But he says, I won't necessarily not go through a trial with you, but I'll be with you through the trial. And there'll be a purpose through this, that in the eternal purposes of God, there will be justice. And, and not just justice, but but graciousness, right? That you're in Christ. And, and uh, one day, how many years is it, Brother Brian, to wipe all tears from our eyes? And, and so that time will come. And he'll be with us until that time. Um, so we have, uh, we have God who left heaven, for example, and became a man through the incarnation. And we have the, the baby born in Bethlehem and uh, laid in a manger. And we have his uh, relating to us. Uh, he's not a high priest who doesn't know the feeling of our infirmities. He experienced these things. He faced the challenges of life. And then he laid down his life for us on a cross. He came to where we are. He experienced some of the things that we're going to experience as, as people. And of course, as God, he could take our sin upon himself to give us his righteousness and make us joint heirs with himself. And we have a home in heaven. So while we journey, we have a God who cares and loves, has entered into our suffering. Um, a couple other reasons why the story of Job is helpful for us. One, suffering is a common human experience. Uh, there's going to be um, different things that you'll come across that maybe you haven't experienced, and Lord willing, maybe you'll never will, and that would be great. But um, we do look around us, right, in our community, and there are those who are grappling with different things like cancer or the loss of a loved one or broken families or wayward children. or um, you know, Our country is perfect politically, but there are some countries that have worries about their politics and where the country is going. It's a, it's a common human experience, and someone said, you know, this year's been a rough year, right? Or this decade's been a, a rough decade. Um, if you, we want perspective, go to, the, uh, go to a really big library, you know, where they have history uh, of countries, and pick any, any century throughout world history, and, and pick that book out and begin reading it. And you realize there's been problems in other centuries as well. Um, and, and so it's, it's a common human experience. Um, secondly, Job is an application of much of the Psalms. When we read the Psalms and we read about some of the questions and uh, some of the, the things that have, that, that have gone on, and then also where we worship the Lord and we trust the Lord and, and we uh, understand that God is in control and God is, is to be uh, trusted in and, and worshipped and he's still on his throne regardless of what other things take place. Job is a, is a narrative, a story that tells us of how someone walked through that. And then... Suffering tests our faith, tests the limits of our belief in faith. The disciples talked about that, right? Increase our faith. Well, it's not just a magic pill you take, right? Where all of a sudden your faith grows, but perhaps God will lead you through some things in life that will help your faith to deepen and to grow. And whatever we pray to, to, to for, for the Lord, the Lord knows us, he knows our heart, and he won't give us something that won't be and eternity's perspective good for us. And so suffering tests our belief in our faith. There are those you've met perhaps who are angry with God. Um, we are those who, when something goes difficult, they feel like something's been taken from them. Uh, when something that they didn't plan on happening uh, 
react in a way where there's sort of a bitterness against God's goodness or justice or questions about that. And that was what Satan was thinking in Job chapter 1, verse 9. He, right? he goes to the Lord and he says, Doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, does Job only respect the Lord, reverence the Lord, worship the Lord because... I mean, he's doing that, sure, but look at all of these things that are benefiting him at a physical level, right? And at an emotional level. And if you take away all those benefits that he's enjoying, well, then then he's going to run off. He talks about this hedge about him and his house and his possessions and the work of his hands and his bank accounts and things like that. But he says, if you put forth thine hand, touch everything he has, he will curse thee to thy faith. But we see that Job didn't do that. Naked came I into the world, naked I'll return thither. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so that's one of the lessons with Job. Something else that we look at when we continue to read in Job is that Job has some friends. And this is really the biggest part of the book. Is Job has three friends who travel from a great distance to come visit Job. Now by this time, Job has lost everything, but he also has some sort of terrible skin disease, uh, very painful, and uh, really, he doesn't look real great. Uh, It's affected his face. It's affected uh, everything about him. He's sitting uh, outside of town. No one wants to be around him. It could be some form of leprosy as well. And so he's not in any any position to to look anything like he did when he was uh, at the top of his game. Um, So Job's friends make an appointment to come. Traveling was difficult in the ancient world. Um, from what I understand, they didn't have cars, they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have paved interstate systems. I grew up assuming that's just how the world operated uh, and is, has always operated, but uh, it may have taken them weeks or months to travel, to meet and be with him, but they come. One of his friends is Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, and they come together and uh, they, 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 they visit with Job, and it's a blessing that, that they came. It's important for... Uh, us to be there for one another. The Bible talks about rejoicing with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And there's a time to be there for one another uh, when we're going through some things. And there's nothing quite like the presence of someone who cares. And I don't know that we always have to have the answers when we're going through something. I don't know if we always have to uh, bring a great gift or anything. But but by being there with someone or knowing that there's someone you can call or knowing someone that uh, will just be there in a physical way with you. It can be a great comfort. Um, we, we see Jesus doing that. He, of course, came from heaven to earth. We see that uh, when Lazarus dies, he comes uh, in his own time, but he comes and he visits with Martha and, uh, and, and Mary. And uh, he, the Bible says he even weeps uh, in the midst of all of that. And, and so they come. It's a great thing that they do come. They, they come and they're silent there for seven days. Um, they're shocked by what they see as well. And then they begin to make some statements. So Job expresses some of his grief. And I guess it's in chapter uh, 3 where Job, he really opens his mouth up and expresses a lot of sorrow. You can imagine. Um, I mean, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a great thing to say. That was his heart. But uh, this hasn't gone away. This hasn't quite, you know, there's been no resolution to this. And so in chapter 3, he's really 
upset. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which I, it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the shine uh, light shine upon it. And so he just looks back at his life now and he says, Man, I just... I think it'd be better if I just wasn't alive or never was born. Just He's just feeling it uh, fully. Uh, everything, of course, that's taken place in his life um, has laid the stage for all that he's going through in this particular moment. So I'm glad there are some friends there to, to spend some time with him and try to encourage him. But uh, the answer in verse chapter 4 is when uh, Eliphaz begins to answer. In the verse number 1, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, thou hast strengthened the weak hands, thou words have upholden him that was falling, thou hast strengthened the feeble needs, but now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou is troubled. Um, and then verse 7, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Did you catch what he's saying there? Um, Eliphaz says, I have to speak. And he says, hey, it's pretty obvious to me what's happened. Um, Who have you ever seen God just throw judgment from heaven, right? On who didn't deserve it, right? Um, It's clear that all of these things have happened in your life, Job, and it's obviously, it's obviously your fault. I mean, you, you're, you must have been asking for it. And uh, man, you look, it's troubled, but man, you know, you reap what you sow. He says something like this, God blesses the righteous and he punishes the wicked. God has punished Job, afflicted Job. Therefore, Job must be wicked. And we understand Job wasn't, perfect in the sense that he was sinlessly perfect. He was a man like any of us. And uh, they say the best of men are men at best. I think that's true. But, but Job, in his life, as we read, God had already talked about Job. What did God say about Job? He's upright. He's blameless. Nothing crazy going on hidden in his life. And so, uh, but this, this happened in his life. And, but, but from Eliphaz's point, uh, he, he talks about a vision he has had. He said, I had this vision and I've seen how God has worked. And it's almost like he argues from personal experience. And he says, Job, I've lived my life. I've learned these things. I have some wisdom and it's just your, it must be your fault. Uh, God must have judged you. There's a guy named Bildad. If you have a son, you could name his name Bildad. That's an idea for you. There's a few different names in this book that you can, might be helpful for you. And he also argues, he says, God doesn't do anything unjustly. He talks about the, 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 those who've come before. He, it seems like he mentioned some old sayings that have been said by older people who've lived a long time. And he makes a very similar argument from tradition, as it were. He says, God doesn't do anything unjustly. It must be your fault, Job. Zophar, in chapter 11, uh, is really quite harsh in how he speaks. He's very blunt. Job, you need to repent uh, get right with God, and this will all be fixed. Well, it's possible, they, as we close here this morning, that his friends make some of the same mistakes. And I'm going to suggest three here. One is they fail to enter into Job's sorrow with him. They fail to empathize, I guess. They fail to really take a moment to, to see what Job is going through and, and understand that... Um, 
that their life experience is, is a little bit different than Job's. Uh, they haven't experienced quite what Job has, has, has experienced, and, and they, don't, uh, they don't weep with him who weeps in the same way that, that, that the Lord does with us and has done with us on the cross. So they, they fail to enter into Job's sorrow with him. I, uh, I, the, the story was helpful for me. I read it in a book. Stephen Covey talks about he was being on a train, and um, uh, he's, he's just a, a commuter train in a big city, and he's a uh, long day, and he's just wanting to sit quietly and look out the window, but a family of boys comes in, and they're rowdy, and they're jumping over the seats, and they're making a bunch of noise, and their dad is with them, but all the dad is doing is looking out the window. And he's thinking, you know, it's a dad's responsibility to keep the kids restrained and keep them in order, and here the dad isn't paying any attention, and so he sees that the kids are causing a ruckus and kind of annoying everyone in the train, so he says, I'm going to do the thing I need to do, Right? And so he talks to the dad. He says, hey, do you think you could help your kids calm down? They're kind of bothering everybody. And the dad looks at him, kind of startled, and says, I'm so sorry. We just left the hospital. Their mom just died. And I think we all just don't really know what to do. And he tells that story, and he says, man, that just changed my perspective a little bit on what someone else might be going through. Um, that doesn't mean every time a kid is rowdy that something terrible just happened in their life. But, uh, and so it wasn't wrong for him to do what he did. It just gave him a different sense of a, a little bit of a deeper appreciation for, for others. They failed to enter into Job's sorrow with him. They, they put God into a package. They, they, they try to package God in this nice little, this is exactly what God's doing in this way, and this is how he's thinking. And they come into it, and it seems like they have all the answers here. But God doesn't quite fit into the package. It's like the, it's like the line, you know, uh, the quiz in, 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 in class, Bible college, define God and give three examples. Well, go for it. There's only one Lord, and he's above all. And when he's introduced in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we learn about God. We learn about his attributes and his character. And the scripture uh, tells us about the Lord and how we can have a relationship with him and what he's asking of men and the intention and created order. But there are some things we just don't have all the answers to. We take God at its word and we learn to worship and trust him. And then it seems that they're just too dogmatic and proud to listen to Job. Um, and, And so... These arguments are just going to continue, and there's never going to be a real resolution to it. But uh, let's go to chapter 42 in the last 60 seconds we have. And uh, let's just begin in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, canst do everything, and and no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. I've heard a lot about you, but now my eye seeth thee. And so what Job has gone through has allowed him to, to know the Lord at an even clearer level. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly." 
and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. And so we see that all of these arguments that all of Job's friends had fell short. The Lord calls it folly. Even though if you read them, they're awesome arguments. I mean, if I could speak like they could speak, man, you'd have a job at CNN or Fox or something. But uh, all those clever ac- arguments didn't quite touch on what the Lord, who the Lord was and what he was doing and what it meant in Job's life. Of course, at the end of Job's life, what happens? He had a lot of donkeys beforehand, and he had double those afterwards, right? A bunch of camels beforehand, he has double. I mean, things are going great. At the end of it, the Lord blessed Job. The Lord cares about Job. He has, how many more children? How many children did he have, remember? Seven sons and three daughters, so he had ten. How many children does he have at the end? He has more. Right. So he had, let's just say, he, I don't have my math in front of me, 7,000 camels. Now he has 14,000. He had 10 children. Does he get 20 more children? No, he gets 10 more children. Maybe that's because the other 10 are, he'll meet in heaven one day and he'll have the double, the 20. Um, either way, the Lord blesses the latter of the end of Job more than the beginning. And for us, that may mean an eternity where we see this all, all play out. But we just need to know that when we go through things in life, I think one of the lessons of Job, the deep lessons of Job, is, is it's not that we always will have the why explanation, but we can trust in the who, that God is behind it all. And has he cares about us, he loves us, and we can trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and for the, just the, the richness of your word and the different uh, parts of the Bible that speak to different things. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to just look at it again together as a class this morning. We pray you bless the services to follow. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.